Hey everyone, you're listening to Abhilash Clown Conscious Citizens. At this podcast, I talk about climate change, its impact on mankind, solutions that will define our fate, and technological innovations that can help. The episode begins. We are going to have a very interesting episode today. India is a country that is deeply affected by climate change. and there are many such countries who are facing similar impacts we are going to speak about one specific country today that has seen significant shift in its climate a country that is being challenged by droughts and floods a country fighting against increasing diseases challenged by food insecurity poverty corruption if you are an indian you would have been thinking that i'm describing india but friends i have been mentioning a country that sits on top of the equator and has all these similar issues and that is kenya yes you heard me correctly kenya faces similar issues and to discuss this what would be better than to have a kenyan representative discussing the actual on ground reality with us We have our guest today Modester Len Len who is working closely towards activism in environmental sector and volunteered for several environmental organizations She is one of the participant of Kenya Organization for Environmental Education and Kenya Environmental Activist Network Len currently holds the role of chairperson for the Kenya Interuniversity Environmental Students Association where she helps facilitate the projects that unify university environmental students in different part of the country lin also worked with libertarian organizations like students for liberty as a local coordinator to promote ideas of liberty as a key enhancer of social justice this episode is recorded today which is 23rd of april and will be aired on the podcasting channels on the coming wednesday that is 27th of april i would like to give a small disclaimer that the voice quality is a little bit compromised due to the web recording i hope we all may gain some value out of this conversation here we go Ah uh, Len I I would request you to give a quick brief about yourself what you do why climate change you kind of a youth representing uh, young people of Kenya uh where in the world right now chasing a lot of other dreams what exactly happened that probably made you to start thinking about climate change and how you are structured as a climate person Len um Thank you so much, um, Evie, and um, thank you again for this platform. And I'm happy to be here and be able to give a side of the story from a Kenyan perspective. Um, my journey with climate change didn't start all glamorous, actually. So um, I didn't realize just how much I could engage into the climate space. Actually, I was not as aware about climate change issues until I joined Compass. Um, so around the age of 18, 19, that's when I was exposed to uh and the environment on a critical level so um it was mostly based on education so i was studying um environmental resource management and uh, i was clueless 
So one thing that happened was I was able to join one of the environmental clubs in our institution and that was when I met like a community of people who are more engaged in the climate space and environment space. And I was able to actually um, meet people who are like-minded, who are critically thinking about what's going on in the environment. And it kind of rubbed off on me. So I became a bit more curious. And, you know, there's things in school and then there was like, it was like practicals back in um, the clubs when we discussed about some of the things we learned in, uh, what, in our classrooms. And just that kind of conversation and that kind of back and forth just opened my mind to all this um, inequities that are happening and the climate space um, and also be able to kind of be able to relate what I was seeing around me to how the climate and um, change was connected to it. So that was where um, I began. And over time, I was able to now be more engaged in now the physical aspect of it. So now the tree plantings we were able to do around our areas because my institution is in a very dry areas, it's part of the um, arid, semi-arid lands, um, and, you know, just being able to now take part in making a difference, and from there, it's just been onwards for me, yeah. All right, and I, I think, uh, Lynn, you need to be fortunate enough to be connected to something like that. I, I don't think everybody gets an opportunity and gets a stream to probably explore the kind of things that you are exploring today. And everybody has their own aspects of uh, exploration, but people at your age are very much required to help this world move in the direction wherein we start looking into solutions. We start looking uh, into helping innovate a certain kind of technologies that can probably help us mitigate this this impending threat of climate change. Uh, I think Kenya and India has a lot of similar things when it comes to climate change. Uh, we are struggling from dramatic, uh, you know, floods in India as well. Uh, I I know that Kenya is also struggling with a lot of uh, you know rainfalls in in recent years. Also, drought is in another extreme which you guys are facing. And I think it is because how you guys are geographically situated. Tell me about it. You know, a lot of people are unable to understand. One time we speak about a lot of drought going on in a country. And at the other side of the story, people speak about a lot of floods happening in the country. How these two different extremes actually go hand in hand when it comes to Kenya? Um. So for my country, we are we kind of like have two different um, types of lands. So there's a really fertile side of it, and there's a really arid side of Kenya. So you find a situation whereby um, when we have the seasonal rains, some areas don't receive as much rainfall as others. So the really um, quote unquote fertile areas of Kenya tend to receive a lot more rainfall compared to now the northern side and northeastern side of Kenya. But geographically, which are always termed as the arid and semi-arid areas. So the kind of rainfall they receive is always going to be lesser than the kind of rainfall um, regions such as the Rift Valley are going to receive. So you'll find in cases where we have um, rainy seasons, um, which we are currently supposed to have, although as I mentioned before in our earlier conversation, that we are having short rains instead of the long rains that this season is supposed to have. So in areas such as the, the Rift Valley, the area is very fertile. The kind of soil is volcanic. Um, they have a lot of trees. The environment is very conducive to actually attract trees. 
But then at the same time, with uh, kind of the environmental degradation that has been happening, where people clear land to be able to create um, more agricultural um, sites, um, you find whereby people are trying to also have charcoal for their own energy um, consumption. Such areas will have floods simply because there's no vegetation to actually absorb the kind of water that they're receiving since their area receives a lot of rainfall. There's not enough um, water that's going down to the soil. So now you find situations where there's a lot of mudslides since there's not enough vegetation to actually hold the soil. Um, you also find now the floods um, whereby now um, waters are breaking banks because people are People actually grab such lands. They were not supposed to be um, areas for people to live in or people to work on. Um, the other side of it, um, the arid and semi-arid lands tend to have less rainfall. And in most cases, such areas are uh, filled with pastoralists as a way of, um, you know, um, adapting to the kind of environments they have. So often they receive less rainfall during any kind of season. So you find they have less vegetation around. They have less um, water just around them. So they tend to experience a lot of droughts simply because they don't receive a lot of rainfall based on their geographical location. At the same time, they also don't have enough vegetation to actually attract enough rainfall um, based on now the scientific aspect of it, you know, the whole process of photosynthesis. So, um, so now you find that in such areas, uh, most of the people have to uh, have to wait on now the short rains to be able to even um, have their cattle to be able to drink water or the little vegetation they have uh, has to be based on irrigation. Uh, but at the same time, they also receive a bit of floods simply because the rivers that they actually have receive water from the highlands and they break banks when the water is a little excess on the upper side as they close down. So you see, this is um, an ironical situation. Yes. That when you pray for rain, you never really know how much rain you're going to have. So you, it's both a blessing and a curse because when it's a dry season, you don't have enough food, you don't have uh, cattle are dying, we have the drought period. When the rains come, at the same time, they're breaking banks and they're coming over to our land and it's flooded and there's mudslides, people are being buried alive. So I think that is just how much climate change is affecting us. There's really no blessing and curse within our own environment. And I think you guys, your your economy is primarily dependent on uh, agriculture. And uh, the agriculture is also more of a yeah. rain-fed based agriculture in your country. You said it right. At one extreme, it is drought. One extreme, it is too much of rainfall. And both are very much dangerous for your agriculture, which is a primary driving factor for your uh, economy. Do you see that because of these climatic changes and how things have been in, in past decades, there is an increase in other issues which were already pertaining in your country, like malaria, like uh, poverty, like any other issues of your country specifically. What do you think about it? Are, are those problems which you have been facing since many years, are those getting increased because of these climatic changes? Is there anything of that sort? Yes. Um... I can give you now from a personal point of view, especially. I come, my rural area is in a place called Kikini, which is a very highly affected area with um, malaria issues. So you find um, a lot of people tend to experience um, diseases, um, including water, uh, waterborne diseases. But then you find at the same time, um, as I mentioned, the extremities of our condi uh, weather conditions. 
So during floods, we have high cases of uh, malaria. And at the same time, we find that there's also the high cases of people lacking basic commodities like food. So the food insecurity aspect of it. So you find that um, in my region specifically, when it rains, it's um, it's a plain. So it's a plain land. So you find that the water floods so easily. And we have, um, we kind of um, plant rice in our area. So that needs a lot of water. Just a way of adapting to the kind of um, geographical position we're in. But then this kind of harbors um, malaria a lot of the times because, well, they like still water, of course. So now when it rains, that is a high chance of malaria. At the same time, we also have now when the floods come in, our rice gets drowned. So we lack our source of income and food as well. So you find that climate change has been um, the most common effect that people still don't realize just how much it actually affects our day-to-day lives. So when these floods come in, we lose our source of income, we lose our source of food, so we are more prone to food insecurity. At the same time, when these floods come, the water is often still because, well, they're not, it's not draining. So we have, we are harboring malaria just within us, around us, and we are very prone to such. Um, during the drought season, again, we are still food insecurity, we still have food insecurity around us. So it's, um, social issues and both, um, economic issues that combine just kind of make our lives miserable, <laughs> I should say. But then I think the one thing that people have not yet been able to look at is how much connection this has to the climate change effect we're experiencing. People see it as just, um, you know, uh, we're very religious in our country. So most people just like, you know, the, the gods have not favored us, you know, with um, rain this time or, you know, we've been punished. But then if you look at it from a scientific point of view, this is just like the effects of climate change right now. And it's kind of making our situation even worse than it was previously so i think that's the first thing i would say is common between uh india and kenya that people here in india as well the way we worship uh we really forget about all of these issues coming up to us and it's just that if if anybody has to do something it's god will do something about it (laughs) so that's true and 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 you are you're very true about it you know, even let's say if a country is uh, uh, in a danger zone, wherein flood is a very common issue which happens, uh, the increase of its effect or probably its frequency over the period of time because of climate change threatens the whole economy because, you know, that disruption is very costly disruption. And probably a very small percentage of economy will be able to recover fast or maybe in generations. But most of uh, you know the common public in countries like yours and ours uh, wherein you know approximately 70 80% people are uh, below poverty line it becomes so sad for them that they do not have an uh, opportunity to even recover i can relate to that when it comes to climate change in our country that if temperature rises to 48 degrees 49 degrees here in in our country uh, there are human losses and these human losses are yeah. are mainly with those people who are who are in the section of poverty uh, because they do not have resources to help themselves like we guys are we guys are very much blessed that we can somehow manage air conditioning uh, a better life 
but people who are struggling on on roads on footpaths they are cursed with with the actions of what people like us are doing to this world i mean i, I just to comment on um in most often cases in our country i think the thing that helps us the most is we we just we we're kind of rising up because where we were before um in regards to climate education and climate awareness versus where we are now it's taken a leap forward we i'm not saying we are where we're supposed to be given of course um some folks are skeptical about it the science of it but then i think um the more we talk about it the more activists are on the ground the more people are curious about what you guys doing why you guys carrying packets or why you guys coming to our community to plant trees um or why you guys coming to our community to like change up what you guys were planting to like a bit more um, sustainable sources of um food for instance and i think that curiosity is what helps us kenya is a very curious country um a lot of people are curious about what's going on and i think that's what is helping us kind of reduce is how much effects we are having on climate change simply because now people are a bit willing to now listen and say okay um you said that uh, we are not supposed to be planting um we're not supposed to be having our um around water bodies because you know the territorial lands where else do you want us to do or what else can we do what else can we plant around here say something like bamboos uh, mangroves around the coast regions that can be able to help and i think that's what's helping us just reduce and i could also say some bit about the government also coming in and the one thing that I'm we still yet to see as much as our disaster risk management um it's still not top notch uh i think we're going to have lend back online in a moment i think one of the major things that all of us should realize is that you know anything that we are doing in one country it's a global issue and the impact is also being felt at other countries as well both the countries are connected with indian ocean and let's say if there is a rise in temperature in the ocean which we have already observed that the rise in temperature of the ocean has grown up to 2 degrees celsius the evaporation happens dramatically fast and because the temperature at the land is also higher uh, let's say in kenya let's say the temperature on the land is higher then the cloud formation and the capacity of clouds to retain uh, rain water increases and so eventually even if the temperatures start increasing over the period of time the amount of rain your your rain water can be hold in clouds would be greater and uh, eventually when it finally when it will burst that will dramatically create a flood situation in any country so this is something which is from the geographical science perspective a lot of different countries are facing today india is also among those countries which are facing similar kind of uh, rain burst across different places in the country we have got lin back lin can you hear us we can hear you i have apologies for that no no problem i think that's the second uh, same thing between india and kenya we say serious disruption of internet all the time <laughs> so that's not a worry uh we we we're moving towards a better system <laughs> <laughs> that's right i think we we were speaking about wherein you were telling that uh, 
you know the government uh, is having a fair policy towards climate mitigation issue mitigation and i think kenya is among one of those countries uh, in south uh, in the african region who have adapted the climate policies at a very early stage and it's kind of matured as compared to the other countries but i i think you you uh, dropped out while you were saying something about how government and the policies are doing uh, you can continue from that um i mean our government um makes good policies i am not going to lie about that um i mean we have the climate change act um since it came which is a very good um on paper of course it has very good policies to be able to describe our interaction with the climate change spaces and their key areas which include the disaster risk management uh, which has focused on issues like floods and droughts um we have now the other priority areas including um energy uh, including forestry and food insecurity etc um i mean that's it means they are thinking about it which is a good thing but then um from a climate change and environmental perspective as a as a person who's just been in the field for so long our implementation is still uh one thing and it's this focus comes even for the fact that we have the plastic um ban that we actually developed and it was really a good hype at the beginning and it's enabled to kind of reduce a lot of um plastic usage but then at the same time now we still have the issues of people still kind of um shipping some these plastics um illegally into the country because we still don't have a mechanism to actually ensure people are able to transition from the plastic um we uh, we now have a plastic based uh, bags that we now use but now you see uh, people still need plastic simply because one the education um, process is not as efficient so um we call we call them mamboggers our grocery our local grocery store owners still some of them still use the plastic simply because they don't have any other alternative that can be able to actually hold some of the fruits without leaking. So if we can be able to have such technologies invented just as much as we are facing out some of this um, pollution-related, um, I mean, items, then we can be able to have a much greater impact. So our policies are there. Um, functional is in very extreme cases, but on a day-to-day basis, and the implementation is just not as top notch as it wanted and i mean that's the reason why some of us are still on the streets some of us are still um doing cleanups uh, till now our nairobi river which was like a pile of um nairobi is still as polluted as ever and some extent it's still getting worse because we still use some of these plastics and we still kind of ignore some of these policies and acts and laws that we still have on issues to do with environmental um conservation So hear me out. I do have a similar opinion when it comes to how we guys are, what kind of challenges we guys are facing in India. I I have been speaking about this specific issue since quite some time, and the problem that I see is that whenever you want your government to enact on something, as a common public, we really need to be demanding about it. the problem i see is one of the primary problem and and i always speak about it at different forums as well is that we as common citizens are not taking things seriously uh think like that you have a problem of let's say job insecurity in your country right 
So when you have a problem of job insecurity, there is no good companies, there is economical disbalance. You probably, you know, do a short out like a citizen. You will probably do rallies, you'll probably do strikes, you'll probably do a lot of different things to make the government aware that, you know, this job issue is a big issue and you have to solve it. And these political parties, what they used to do is, they used to create these issues as their political agendas. They win elections on the basis of these specific agendas, which common public are asking them to address. Now, what I see, the problem is, we as common citizens have not yet put across the issue of climate threat with that seriousness. And, and that's where governments are also not focusing primarily on this issue, which in long term is going to be drastic. The problems that probably we are facing as humans from threats like COVID-19 or, or even wars, it will become very evident and very frequent because of climate change. And there is a major issue of literacy. And if common people are able to speak about it, and if they are aware, and if they put this issue as a critical issue in front of governments, they will start addressing it. So I'm not saying that governments uh, should sit idle because we have not been shouting. They are the policy makers and they have to start working towards it. But I think as common citizens, uh, the, I, I feel that responsibility starts from us as well. <laughs> what do you think about it? Okay, I, I do share your sentiments. And um, I think sometimes one thing I really like to do is sit down and like... Um, People who are uh, a bit less engaged in the climate crisis to hear a different perspective. And there was something, um, one of the sessions kind of someone brought it up and they were like, how do I fight climate change when I don't even have food on my table? You know, and I'm dying of hunger. I will, of course, the first thing I'm going to do is ask for these people to be able to create an opportunity for me to be able to find uh, my food. I mean, climate change for me doesn't really affect me directly and blah, blah, blah. So for them, um, I think what we need to do as environmentalists, as climate change activists, is to be able to now create this, um, like just allow people to see just how um, climate change and the basic issues relate. Because if we separate them, then we're never going to be able to now um, stand as one front as, uh, as as citizens to be able to now force our government, our leaders to be able to act. So now. Um, one thing I think even in climate education space is to be able to kind of relate. Um, you don't have food on your table because um, some areas don't have enough rain. Uh, why don't they have enough rain? Because you're cutting trees on such areas. That's why there's drought on that areas. Um, you guys are building on riparian land, so there's not enough water that actually can supply for your farms. So it's kind of trying to create a path, a pathway for them to be able to see this connects to this and this connects to this and this ultimately is caused by climate change and comes back to what I am doing on a daily basis. So governments will be able to listen to citizens, but when citizens are able to also relate the day-to-day issues with climate change. So I think that's where the disparity comes in for why most common, we call them common monanchies, like, uh, that's like local citizens, are able to see just how much climate change relates to their day-to-day choices, their day-to-day issues, and be able to now put that at the front of, if you're not going to um, remove people from riparian lands, then we're not going to be able to have food, and that affects 
my issue that I really feel strongly about is food insecurity. Or um, we're talking about the way you guys are developing um, new um, roads and everything, but then at the same time, that means you're um, having some investments because you're closing down some areas or you're demolished some buildings. And at the same time, you're also giving specific people, I mean, corruption is still there. And you're giving specific people some specific things. And, you know, we have jobs that can be able to create it if we're able to now solve climate change issues because new technologies will be invented and that means new um, jobs for us. So if we're able to kind of relate for people who are not as aware about climate change, we're able to have a mass um, awareness and we're able to have a mass um, kind of pool so that people can be able to now go to their leaders like climate change is a priority simply because it affects A, B, C, D, you know, that's. That's kind of what I really got from that conversation. We we're able to have the discussion. So I do agree with you that um, local citizens haven't been able to front climate change. It was a big issue for them simply because as I learned that they see, they don't still see the relation between climate change and the basic issues. And they still think of it as an individual concern. So food insecurity is an individual issue or um, job insecurity is an individual issue or poverty is an individual issue but then when they now learn to see this, how much this relates to climate change issues and environmental degradation then we're able to actually front this to leaders to be able to push for it yeah right I think Lynn you, you are already involved with a lot of on ground uh, certain kind of activities wherein you're also involved with different different associations speaking with students all the time yeah. uh, you are already a very young person um, i mean uh, everybody should know that uh, this smart girl speaking such a big thing she's just 23 <laughs> and she has been doing dramatic uh, lynn by the way i read one of your articles which was uh, published on unfccc uh, website blog and I really started thinking about it that, you know, even the serious, these governmental bodies, the policy makers have started considering youths as a very important people in this sphere. I think youths are, are, are the people who are going to take this initiative for the longer period. But tell me about it. So one context is definitely clear that you know, people have to get educated about it. There is definitely a need of climate literacy among people. But uh, when you go on ground, when you speak with other Kenyans, do you feel that people are welcoming the thought of, uh, you know, the disruption of climate change? Do you feel that people are willing to hear you out? People are willing to take actions on it? Tell me about your campaigns and what you guys have been doing. Um, so I could say my the most engaging um, conference that I was able to actually um, be part of the organizing team was the local conference of youth. And um, it created a platform where we're able to have policymakers and youths on the ground to be able to kind of meet and discuss. And there's this disparity between youths and decision makers that doesn't, like, there's this, this gap that needs to be bridged. And I think policymakers are a bit, they're trying to be able to up, uh, be open-minded about it because, I mean, climate change has been able to create traction with time simply because youth are more aware and I think our environmental consciousness um, as our generation is a bit higher than the generation of the past 
who most of the time constitute the local decision, uh, I mean the decision makers. So um, we find a situation whereby um, our most receptive audience has always been local farmers or local communities, simply because they want a solution. Um, they are able to see they're losing harvest here and they're losing their commodities, so they have a need. And if you're able to explain it to them, then they're, and they're able to understand and see that, okay, if we turn around this, this will happen. They're more receptive. But then when it comes to decision makers, they are a bit structured. So you find that there's laws to be passed and bills, and that means processes, or there's, if you talk about fossil fuels, you know, that they're looking at it from a monetary point of view, and that's part of most of our strikes, you know, planet, no, uh, people not profit. Because the people on the ground normally don't really um, care as much about fuel as long as it doesn't cost them a lot. And if you give them an alternative that is, I mean, it works for them. If it's environmental friendly, yes. And if it works for them, then you're solving a need and that works. But then um, when it comes to now the lock, uh, the decision makers, they see it, they look at it from a point of our economy relies on this. So fossil fuels, um, our oil and gas, um, give us this amount of money. So, I mean, we, we, we hear you. We do. We, we really hear you. They sit down and listen, but then they don't really act as fast. They don't really, they don't see it as an urgency because for them, they're looking at it from, oh, we, our economy is up top right now. Or, um, I mean, we have to consult this person and this person before we can make a decision. There are treaties to be, uh, looked at. So you find that, um, on our on-ground activities, um, on our discussions, we hold conferences a lot of the time, but the decision makers are a bit slow. So you find that what most climate activists and environmentalists have been able to do is now they start their own projects, things that are supposed to be done by government in most cases, and the private sector instead are the ones going on the ground and, you know, having, um, digging boreholes for some of these communities instead. They're the ones who are giving them new seedlings that are able to actually adapt to like conditions and trading areas like the semi-arid areas. And I think for me, what I uh, really frustrates me as much as a young person is just how much this gap between um, decision makers and um, environmental conscious people keeps growing. And we still don't, we're currently having our election period in Kenya and we only have one party that is um, a green party. All other people's manifestos are not constitutional. Or they don't constitute um, climate change issues and environmental issues, despite the fact that we've had several conversations with these people. We've held them in meetings. They even create meetings themselves. But then when it comes to now the implementation part of it, they not so slow, and it's frustrating. So I think that's the main issue that I've been able to see over time. But the local monanchi, the local people are able to listen. They're able to... Um, kind of see that this this is affecting us so fine. I may not understand the science of it, but I understand my farm is not um, producing yields. I understand I I don't have food on the table for my kids, and for them it's easy for them to move. But then when it comes to decision makers, they look at it from a very profitable point of view that will never really work unless they're open-minded enough. Because climate change disruption. Um, to be able to actually disrupt the trends that we actually have includes a bit of loss before we actually start the gains. I mean, that's how industrial revolution actually happens. Yeah. I I think the other non-green parties on ground, they would be promising those things which will make them win the elections. You know, be- yeah. becoming a green party does not make 
uh, a political party assured that they will win the elections and and when it comes to elections government are only concerned about winning them you know for that particular period so that force i think people are still you know i i see that in last couple of years people have really become vigilant about you know climate actions and climate changes and all the climate talks that are happening around uh, and i think over the period of time probably in another one decade people will be very much inclined towards it because by that time i think that would have created a dramatic effect on on the whole humankind but uh, but i think common people are already struggling since quite some time and if if you start assessing these issues common people are are facing these problem year on year in an increased manner and what people have to understand if there is a natural calamity if it is also happening why the intensities are increasing you know every year on year uh there has to be some scientific reason behind it right the in- intensities will not just increase uh in an incremental order just like that there is something changing every year and that change is something that people have to really understand and i think you know the political governments when when they are taking a political rally see how many people are getting gathered to listen to them there thousands of them right hundreds and thousands uh, of people are yeah. gathering together yeah. when probably len is going or maybe when abhilash is speaking about it you know probably 100 not even 100 uh, you know few count of people are only listening to them think about it a political leader if that political leader speaks about the yeah. problem uh, in front of that mass at least for just 30 seconds that will make people realize that there is one new thing that they should learn about and i think that's that's the first step governments should start taking up <laughs> we just got a question uh, by manish and uh, somebody asked that elon musk is building a, a new life on mars okay so is it because of climate change <laughs> and is it going to help uh, humanity in any which way is the question <laughs> interesting um i mean i don't know if they have watched the movie um don't look up i think that really describes how much i do that um, topic should be answered <laughs> yes um i mean the fact that they cannot be able to um save the planet they live on and they're trying to invest on other planets just goes to show um how much this were able to actually finance their own personal projects so they're not able to finance what is actually needed so yes i do believe it's because of um the climate change issues i mean it's like a ro- the, the whole rocket is coming at us um the and it's going to blow up the entire um art but then they're still thinking about going to mars i mean if you can be able to channel this this much investment into now um saving forests or saving um the ocean it would make a huge difference and i mean art would be way better than living on mars but we're still so um if we have our own agenda is so hard that we don't want to look into now what is necessary 
for our own survival as humankind. And I personally think it's probably because they can see it coming at us. They can see just how much effect this climate change is going to have on us. And they are looking for their own escape route and we are, we are not looking out. <laughs> yeah. you, you are totally bang on. I think, I think the <laughs> amount of investment it would require to habitat a planet like Mars it is going to be humongous. I guess if that money is put into decarbonization or probably if that money is put into bringing in more innovative ways of generating fuel through greener resources, I think in fraction of the amount, we'll be able to undo a lot of issues that we have created for this planet. Yeah. And trust yeah. me, the world has money. Uh, it's not just Elon Musk, but the world yeah. in totality have a lot of money to solve this problem. And people are... The number of billionaires. I think, um, you know, people have to start thinking about it, that this is a beautiful planet. And we can save this planet if we start acting on an immediate basis. Of course, a lot of, uh, you know, critics, speak about that saving this planet is no more possible. But think about generations, even if you will relocate, you know, I read somewhere in, in one of the magazine and it said that there are going to be places which will not be habitable on Earth, like a lot of coastal places because of, you know, melting ice in the Arctic area, you know, those coastal places will extinct. There will be places which will be so hot that, uh, you know, living there will not be possible. And there are going to be two different kinds of people there. One kind of person would be probably migrating from that region to some other region. But trust me, ask me from the Indian mindset, a lot of people in India, they love their motherland. They won't migrate an inch and they are going to suffer a lot. Probably you can you can accommodate a fraction of people through migrations, but a very large amount of people will be willing to suffer and, you know, get disrupted at that area. I think I, I cut you in between. You're saying something. Please go ahead. Um, the issue of climate refugees has been really on the increase. And I think the way we mentioned the issue of floods in Kenya and we're able to see actually I think the, my most, um, the one place I can really speak about the most is now my local, my rural home. And we were able to see the like, Victoria just break its down. And a lot of people are like moved from where they used to live and they'd constantly come back. And it was like a pattern. So the rains come, it floods, they move, and then they have this whole notion of the government should help us. And then they move to another land probably, but they'll always come back because that's their ancestral home. As you mentioned, the way Indians love their their motherland. I mean, that happens with a lot of communities because that's where is that's like your ancestral home. And the fact that climate change is now making a lot of people lose their ancestral homes is now becoming a whole issue because no one really wants to be a refugee. I mean, you did have land. You were born somewhere. You have an ancestral um home somewhere, but now you're losing it because the natural calamity is happening around you. But then if we were able to now look at it from a different perspective, whereby what are you doing around the region? 
because everyone wants to say um, our ancestors lived here, that's why we have to live here. But what we are our ancestors doing differently from what we're doing here to actually um, uh, push um, this kind of calamities to its brink. Now, I think what we need to do in regards to now um, the issues of refugees, one, I think, um, is our disaster risk management. Our systems of disaster risk management are not really as um, efficient because we don't predict disasters in time and we're not able to warn people in time. But at the same time, we always wait until the disasters are happening for us to constantly do something about it. So if we're able to, um, both governments and citizens, to kind of look at it from um perspective of what were done what was done before and maybe we can be able to tap into but at the same time modernize a little bit because I mean times have changed. Um to be able to smudge the old and the new in a way that you know we're able to still remain with the land that we're able to have. And also governments to be able to predict early enough, give early warning systems for such calamities are happening, for people to now be able to move to higher ground and kind of also be able to look into investing in ways whereby they're able to now still have, these people have their own land back. So instead, for instance, um, if you're losing this land, maybe someone somewhere had an extra land that's farming on, maybe they're able to, if that, if that land is able to kind of accommodate some of this um, really flood-oriented um, crops and that, like rice, because rice needs a lot of water. They're able to now farm on such areas and then they're able to live somewhere else until now you know, the it's the whole issue is reversed. So I think for me, we're still going to have climate refugees. Actually with if we continue with the kind of trends we are having right now. And if, especially if we continue not investing in the solutions, just investing in um planning. Okay, a bit of um adaptation and mitigation, you know, like stop this from happening further. But at the same time we're adapting to what's going on. I think a combination of both would actually help us in the long run compared to constantly moving, constantly telling people to move. Have you told them why they're moving? Have you told them what else can they do to prevent the next time from this happening to them? So that's my two points. No, that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, you know, slowly and gradually from region to region, every region is going to get impacted. So you move from one place to another, you move from second to third. It, it, it is not how you want, you know, your planet to be. Your planet has never been like this, right? And and this is something which is true, what you yeah. said, that, uh, you know, probably working within your own community is the first step. If you really love your motherland, if that land is so important for you, maybe start working for it. Maybe you just become curious that, you know, things have been changing and probably you and your society yeah. and people around you, what exactly you guys can do to solve that issue. And uh, I'm, I'm totally, I have a plus one on that for you. Uh, that That is something that I guess everybody should think and start practicing. And you don't need a government or anybody to help you feel that. Today, uh, you know, a lot of regions wherein people will have not moved towards air conditioning the whole city has converted into air conditioning zone. And it's a change. Even those changes, of course, you can afford an air conditioning, but that is dramatically impacting your uh, environment. Uh, and, and the temperature are going to rise with time because of it. Yeah, so I, I have another question. I'm not sure uh, 
uh, how you will respond to it but uh, you know one uh, archie asked that i'm just curious what if we stop voting for the political parties who don't care or talk about environmental issues you give your comment i have a comment to make on this as well len you there with us i guess we lost len in between uh so one of the things that we already discussed in this talk today is that even for us to make sure that you know uh that impacts the overall selection of a party i think very important is that there is enough level of literacy among people if people are literate and if people are together on a cause then that is going to create some impact on the political party so let's say if, if i don't want to uh, you know vote a government which is not a green government or which does not have an agenda to solve their uh, environmental issues and i if i don't vote and if the country is struggling with let's say uh, other economic disbalances probably job insecurity or maybe something like that then you know that shift will not happen i think uh, not voting and voting a, a green party is very important if you have already become conscious the moment you came to this thought process that green is the life i think you should start uh, voting those political parties but political parties just cannot only focus on green things when it comes to economics running a country uh, there are lot of different aspects of of running a country wherein you know going green is one of the very important ones but there are other issues that are required to be addressed as well so from my personal opinion if somebody would like to opt in for a political party who is green focused people should also look into uh, you know all the other aspects as well it has to be the right mix otherwise it is going to bring in more disbalance in the economy on the ground level and the struggles will probably increase more of course i would say that thumbs up for for those governments who are opting in for that because slowly and gradually when the voting share will increase for them the other bigger political party will understand that you know this issue is big enough issue to address and they will start transitioning towards becoming a green party and i think it's a demand what we just heard is something that every common people should ask for fine you resolve a job insecurity issue but you also resolve this uh, transition that we have been expecting i think green transition is something which is which is very much possible if a government determines that this is something that they would really want to uh, look into i think len is back with us i guess kenya is already uh, doing a great work in terms of that's what i have read and heard in quite some time that kenya is doing good in terms of uh, converting towards renewable and i think hydro is something which uh, is one of the main source of power generation for you guys already i think of course choosing a political party from the standpoint of whether they are opting in for a green issue or not is very important but simultaneously you have to look at other issues as well 
and the party should be matured and balanced enough that they are also solving green issue but they are also considering the other issue of the country so that eventually by solving a green issue you are not disbalancing and you are not creating any other issues of of the country so that's very very important and people should not just simply get fascinated about a term and start working towards it uh there has to be right balance about everything that people are doing right so uh, uh when you just got disconnected wherein you know there was one comment from uh, one of uh, the listener and he said that can we stop voting for those people who are not speaking about environmental issues those governments from my perspective um from a kenyan perspective We currently don't have a presidential candidate for it, um, for the green agenda. So we don't have that option yet. So you find that, um, yes, we would not love to, we would love to have leaders who are pro, I mean, pro, um, the green agenda, pro climate change, um, uh, issues solving. But then we don't have them. Politics in itself is very expensive. I was, Uh, I have a friend who's actually buying and they were able to share just how much it costs almost half a million just to register for a party to be able to get a ticket. And that there's a nomination and there's a campaign. So um, most of these people are looking into getting this money back once they get into the political seats. And they will feed you literally anything, anything. I will be able to, um, just, you know, get them on the seat. So... You find that not not everybody can be able to afford to be able to um, run for any seat, and more so, um, not everyone wants to tap into the green agenda just uh, yet, sadly. Um, so now we would wish. I mean, if everyone was aware, then I I don't think we'd even have that question. I mean, I don't think we'd even have to ask sure. ourselves with uh, and we not um, vote for them because when everyone is. On one, on the same page of the same way we look at poverty, that is this person going to, or job insecurity? Um, most people look at like, are they going to create jobs for us? That's the person we're voting for. So if we're able to look at it from one standpoint, or is this person able to now, um, talk about environmental degradation? Are they able to talk about climate change issues? We're going to vote for them. Then, then we'll be able to have, like, I'll be able to completely answer your question. But until we are able to speak in one voice, Um, I guess we are stuck with who we have, but we are moving forward. I think that's the kind of hope I can give you because we now are a community of environmentalists who are making a difference. We are educating people. We are creating awareness. Our generation is more engaged in the climate space. So, I mean, right now we may have this generation um, that's in the kind of the vying for who are a bit less engaged in the climate space, but I am pretty hopeful that the next generation that is buying the next seats, actually in my country, are more environmentally conscious, climate conscious as well, and they're able to now look at it from the perspective of, um, I mean, yes, I'm going to tackle job insecurity, but I'm going to use um, a climate change adaptation method to be able to do this for an environmentally conscious way of um, looking into food insecurity. So we do have hope, but right now, I mean, if we don't vote, we don't get any leaders yet and we do need the crazy people sure. we're able to influence them once they're in leadership because we're able to have a sit down once this person becomes president or any legal advisor and we're able to sit down with them in meetings and like yes you are now the current 
um, MP or member of parliament from my region, and my region has extreme case of um, pollution. What are you planning to do for it? And we're able to just have this discussion and influence them to actually have now environmental issues as part of their go-to projects. So yeah. So Lynn, you are leading already a couple of different associations and groups. Tell me, do you get an access to these political leaders at even at the MP level or maybe your uh, local representative level? Were you get the access to speak with them about those ongoing concerns, probably share some thoughts? Tell me about how accessible people are there uh, in government or maybe people who are in power. <laughs> how accessible? Not very accessible. They're always, uh, they're always on the move. They always have meetings. But then, um, when you kind of, uh, every, every, every political leader likes a large crowd. So when you're able to have a very large, uh, group of people meeting in one place and you're telling them, I have almost a thousand youths who want to talk to you, he'll listen. Or she will listen. But then when you're like, um, on a very personal level, like, I have an issue with what's going on in my, um, my county or my, area or region, uh, they'll always give you um, excuses of, I have a meeting, um, can we meet at this time? But I think with time, they've been able to listen. Um, they're more receptive to youth, especially because they realize that um, a lot of youth are more knowledgeable about what's going on. And um, I think the difference has been, I have seen since I started as a climate activist versus now is very, it's, 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 kind of, it's, it's actually a good progress. So what it was before was uh, completely, I used to never have access to such people. But right now we're able to have a sit down with them and they're able to listen simply because they've seen, if you're loud enough, they're able to see, okay, I can't, I can't just shut this person down. So sure. I think also investing, one thing I learned is investing yourself, investing what you know, then they're able to now listen to you because whatever you present to them is something that they can be able to relate to. They can be able to know. Okay, you want this and this change. What do you? What do you? What do you present? What? What do you suggest to do? If you're able to now, based on like findings, based on statistics, which you've been able to read, you've been able to find, or even like you're able to bring the people, the community that you're mentioning, need this, the room. They're able to now, um, kind of come in and okay, listen, and then maybe some of them actually work on it. So it's been progressive. It's not. There yet. They're not as accessible, not gonna lie. Um, but during campaign periods, they're very, very accessible, very extremely. But then once they have the seat, they. That's what, that's what political <laughs> parties are good at. At yeah. campaigns level, they are, they are approachable by everyone. But post campaign, oh, yeah. <laughs> you just can't find them anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one of the questions, uh, Lynn, have you heard of uh, this movement called uh, Save the Soil? Is there any such kind uh, of movement happening uh, locally in Kenya as well? You see a lot of that happening have, in India, though. Oh, I have heard of it, um, but I've not really interacted with Save the Soil. But I do think it would be a good standpoint for us to have because um, I really, I think I mentioned this before, I really don't want situation whereby Kenya is able is such um investing in some of its activities and projects just when things get really bad. So I think for us, um currently our issue with um soil has just been mostly our lack of education to actually be able to hold the soil and its 
been able to lose. And I think I mentioned about mudslides, we're losing a lot of nature. And I think I saw a, a few projects happening um, around the Rift Valley region um, with the soil. Um, but then it's not as massive as it should be yet. Yeah. All right. I, I think Kenya is kind of world leader in tea production, if I'm not wrong. If that is Kenya only. Yeah. Kenya, uh, yeah. Kenya has great tea production, right? You should have some someday when you come back. <laughs> Definitely. So Indians love tea. That's uh, so. I think you produce the right thing that Indians want. <laughs> you always drink tea. So very well. <laughs> I I think that the tea also grows on uh, different levels of plateaus. So if, if the temperature is rising, are you also seeing change in? crop patterns or probably vegetation patterns across regions in Kenya. Have you heard about something like that? If somebody speaks about it, tell me a bit of agriculture. Yes. Um, our main tea zone um, is in Kericho, a place called Kericho. And there was a point where the rains really, really failed. Um, and um, most of the tea farmers actually abandoned their tea and said now producing other products to be able to um, kind of count, not count the losses as much. So you find that um, the region is cold, so which is very conducive. Then with the increase in temperatures over time, it's made a lot of these farmers now shift to other sources of um, livelihood and income, kind of like farming other kind of crops instead of tea, simply because it's just the tea wasn't um, having as much production as it used to be before. And I think we're seeing a lot of that happening in a lot of our regions in Kenya, simply because people have transitioned to now um, crops that are um, able to adapt to the kind of um, weather patterns that are currently experiencing. So it's kind of creating losses as well, since we don't have enough tea producers just as we used to do before. And even so, especially during the COVID um, period, where like a lot of borders were, um, were closed. And, you know, we really um, export a lot of our tea and coffee as well and a bit of pyrethrum. And, you know, with the closure and the weather patterns, it's just been so hard for people to go back to now planting just in as much, the mass production that used to happen the same way. And I think if we are not careful, we might actually lose a lot of our income with time simply because, I mean, the weather is not uh, conducive to some of these plants that they want, some of these crops that they want to plant. Or at the same time, we find now um, the issue of if we have another pandemic, we are, because they're still trying to get back their losses from before. So they're losing a lot. Um, just having this weather, just not cooperating with the kind of crops they're planting. Okay. Tell me about this. So COVID-19 has happened and COVID-19 has, has been something that people have never thought about. When you now assess COVID from the uh, standpoint of climate change, how you weigh things? Do you see things changing before and after COVID? Is it good? It is bad in Kenya? Of course, economically, life losses, all of that is pretty evident and every country is facing it. But Tell me from the standpoint of uh, the climate uh, mitigations and climate change perspective that uh, what do you think, what was the impact of COVID uh, 
over uh, climate change uh, in your country? Um, COVID raised more awareness than we actually even thought it could. Um, the fact that people are staying home um, kind of builds a bit of curiosity also in people and at the same time, because people are trying to understand why do we have a pandemic or why, why is this happening? And I think compared to how activism was back then before COVID versus now, there has been a significant increase in people who are actually supporting the climate movement. And it's simply because um, a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people are able to now look at it from like um, we have a pandemic now, and uh, why is this happening? Because it also happened to ha- be at the same point where we were having um, lawless invasion in our country. So this kind of um, raised a lot of questions for people, and um, the climate change scientific facts were able to answer most of these questions for them. So it created a bit more momentum for us because um, I, I can even see like with world leaders, the kind of um, intention they have with um, climate discussions now compared to before, it's a lot, it's a lot more receptive. So I could say that COVID opened people's eyes, which is a good thing because I think just to be able to see how much um, climate change can be able to affect people because, you know, part of the pandemic was because of climate change issues. And being able to just see even the difference in uh, our environment based on people putting their toes down because there are less um, cars on the road in Kenya, uh, less pollution because um, our CBD, our central business district, has a lot of um, air pollution. So being able to just see that disparity was able to make people a bit more conscious about um, what is happening around them in regards to um, COVID-19. I mean, in regards to climate change, sorry. So it's been, the conversation has been heightened. Um, and as I mentioned, we're still not there yet, but it was a really great push for people to now be more aware about climate change and to be able to change what they are, how they've been working. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is how humans are. I think we, the driving factor for humans have always been fear. So I think when the fear of COVID-19 erupted, I think that immediate threat gave them, you know, probably the climate activists got kind of a good time when they were able to do a lot of activity over social media and other places to make people aware that, you know, that this this is a big problem. But probably climate change would be way bigger than what you're seeing today. And of course, uh, I think people realize that, you know, COVID-19 is immediate. It is immediately threatening our lives and climate change is not. So probably the the shift is is more towards something which is immediate and something not what is going to happen maybe probably five, six, seven, ten years uh, later. But uh, I think how we are moving towards a warmer planet, uh, the kind of COVID-19 impact that we are looking at, the similar kind of impact will keep on happening because of climate change. And and it will, of course, it is not going to be uh, in in a way of, you know, heat only. Uh, Your rise in temperature, people have to understand, the rise in temperature brings droughts, it brings in yeah. flood, it brings in earthquakes as well, it brings in a lot of other natural calamities. Think about the wildfires in California and uh, you, or, you know, Australia, uh, the bushfire. Yeah. Uh, 
millions of hectares of land has been burned and a lot of homes and a lot of smog for so many days it took a lot of lives because of that as well and these and i think the perception of this was very essential for people to be able to see just how much climate change affects people because it was the pandemic and then there was the bushfire the wildfires happening and then at the same time as i mentioned in kenya there was a lot of convention so it was like a lot of things happening at the same time that like i think shook people as you mentioned fear is a very good motivator for a lot of human beings true so i think just having all that happening it was like this is just like the first episode of what could happen no i think already uh, right now while we are speaking uh, south africa is already fighting with uh, serious floods yeah. right and probably at one country we are not facing a issue but at at the same time some other country is facing some issue and these intensities of issues are increasing uh, it cannot be contained so easily if you are sitting idle it it can only happen if we start mm-hmm. taking actions towards it these things which are probably happening in in quarters or half yearly or probably in a year will start happening every month that's very hard to believe that we are so ignorant about it but i think uh, we as people we as government we as policy makers we as leaders have to come together and we have to start thinking about it that this is a very serious problem and everybody has to come together and solve this uh, i think countries who are primarily developing countries have kind of similar issues of course on on yeah. local levels there are different different issues as well but on a larger perspective the agendas when it comes to climate change let's say a lot of problems that we are facing are very much similar right india is also facing yeah. droughts india is also facing rainfalls which are which we never thought that it is going to be of of that size but that has that is happening lines landslides have become frequent coastal places are getting uh, too much of cyclones and things yeah. are really getting scary with time one one last question uh, i really want you to address uh, len tell me reason which you think will keep people motivated in kenya to really think and you know work towards this whole climate issue tell me about uh, things that people are doing or maybe reasons why people should get motivated to do something is there any impact happening at least few fraction of people are doing something about it but is it creating some impacts why people should get motivated and and start uh, shaking hands with you and start doing mm-hmm. stuff um from i i i am shaking hand with you i have i have total faith in you uh it's it's not my personal question i'm just asking from a general perspective why a common person if, if they are listening to you if you're they're looking at you in an event on ground what are the motivation factors for them um i think for me the greatest motivation factor is a good future for my future generation so children or whatever so um i think one thing that um really look forward to is kind of like the hope i have in having a better environment in having um 
any generation that comes after me to know that I safeguarded what was supposed to be for them. Because I mean, year passes by in this art. Um, we have a we have phases of bad. Um, I mean, love, marriage, um, or not, and then death, of course. So I mean, we are just passes by. We are guests on this art, and being able to understand just how much you're able to treat um, the platform you're given, the space you're given as a guest will help you also understand just how much you're able to take care of something with the fragility that it has. So one thing that's been able to be a motivating factor for me is being able to see my community change. Um, we were less aware. People did uh, had habits of, you know, just as simple as littering, which promoted pollution. And being able to see um, even from as young as 16, as, uh, as young as 8 year old, being able to be more aware about um, habits of um, littering, habits of um, planting trees. It's been a very hopeful journey. Just whatever we are doing, whatever we are saying, whatever we are fighting for on the streets is actually working. To be able to have different generations um, kind of merging together, you know, the young and the old and the ones who strike in the middle, being able to come together and um, support just the platform we have, space we have as uh, of Mother Earth, Actually, with yesterday being asked, I mean, investing in our planet means changing our habits. Investing in our planet means um, waking up every day and choosing to actually do better for the earth. And that has been my greatest um, holding factor. And also being able to see the community of climate activists and environmentalists in Kenya growing has been such, a, I think, very, it gives me so much hope. Because you're able to see people who are less aware, people who are questioning why are you doing this, being able to be part of you in the street, on the streets, um, marching towards um, this goal of protecting the planet, um, being able to see our governments now move from not really having a green party at all to now if we have one, so that's progress for us. Um, moving from having young people sitting um, at home just playing video games or watching TV to being on the ground um, on the streets educating their communities, creating projects, creating organizations and associations, even for them, leading some of them and engaging um, um, these leaders to be able to make a difference. So I think um, we are moving forward. I think that's the greatest thing that we need to keep in mind. It's not where we are supposed to be yet, given, but we are moving forward. And I think the fact that we are not um, leaving anyone behind, we are having local communities being part of this, indigenous communities being part of this, um, world leaders being part of this conversation, and even transversing borders through social media. I mean, like, right now I'm talking to an audience from India, from Kenya, and different parts of the world. It helps to just know that we are building momentum, and we are actually doing something about it. And the fact that um, we're still not there yet gives us a bit more um, motivation to do more, to do better as generations go by. So for me, that's been my motivation factor and being able to see just from a Kenyan perspective how much people are changed. I'm able to influence the community around me. Um, moving from, I mean, my household never really was aware. And I think we had a battle with my own mother at some point when I used to, when she used to throw things on the ground and it was really <laughs> an ache. And with time, it's now developed quite as an ache for her because she used to just never mind just throwing litter on the ground, but now she puts it in her bag and she's like, every single time she's like, she waits for an applause, you know, just a tap on the back. And I think being able to see such progress, 
um, as small or as big is something to just look forward to and just to remind people to never give up on the fight because I know you may want the whole world to change its perspective or its way of doing things, but then you're not looking at it from the fact of you've influenced this one person, you've influenced um, this community around you, you've influenced um, that young child who is looking up to you as a mentor and you're able to now develop this community of climate and aware people and environmentally conscious people and you're able to now have these conversations with people who are um, mostly experts in science is able to invest into now um, how do we change climate change, what um, new ways are we able to look into things. So it's all coming to play. It's, it's taking longer than we should, but it's all coming to play. And I think we just need to build just how much we're influencing people. So I think I I can totally vouch on that. I think I have also yeah. been seeing a lot of, uh, you know, changes in society. People are are definitely willing to listen. People are definitely willing to do something about things slowly and gradually. I, I remember yeah. uh, quite some time back, uh, I went to a, a plantation farm it, it's a place where you know a lot of people are coming and they're planting small small plants so that it eventually become a tree after some time so planting uh, trees mm-hmm. planting is something that is core of uh, this whole movement i i won't quantify how much impact it will create but you know at the end of the day it just brings the emotions on the table as well i remember yeah. i i saw a child came to plant a tree because it was his birthday and uh, you know his parents bought him to do that and that shows that you know it has started becoming a part of the culture as well and that's what we need we need this issue to become as part of our culture it is very important that at the early age uh, in schools and colleges students are taught Mm -hmm. about you know this climate scenario and there has to be a moral sense attached to it that, you know, if you're going in this world, you know, there is there is something that you really need to take care of. And it's how you have an etiquette to live in your home, an etiquette to talk with your people. There is an etiquette to behave <laughs> yeah. with this planet as well. And that's very, very, very important at, at all the aspects. Quite few countries have already opted it, uh, you know, recently and and countries like India and probably I, I'm not sure how Kenya is responding to it. But, uh, you know, countries like India have started demanding that at education level, people should be, you know, students and child should be educated, that they should uh, start responding yeah. towards it. Mm-hmm. I feel that, you know, it's a high time that as community, we all should come together you know, we should educate children. You're doing a fantastic job. Uh, You know, I've seen your photographs uh, since we have talked and I can see that you guys are serious about it. And and I tell you, Len, the best part of it is that how you guys have been creating your creatives, being, uh, you know, vocal with your pictures, uh, that is what required probably at this stage of climate fight people really want to see because that's how the generation is if you are able to grab the eyes of younger generation 
they are going to last long and if they inculcate this thought process within them the impact period for them would be bigger and eventually that is going to help us uh, how you will achieve 2050 how you will achieve 2070 target you will only achieve if your young generation which is sitting in 2020 is going to work till 2070 yeah. you know it's not yeah. the person who whose life is limited to next 10 years it's it's young people yeah. like you yeah. and and i'm 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 bit younger as well I'm, i would not say i'm that much older but <laughs> younger people like yeah. us are going to do yeah. stuff right so it, it's and i mean um for a lot of people we've been looking at it from the perspective of um the older generation needs to you know come back down and change things but i think being able to now take the front um part of leading this movement towards environmentally conscious um and climate conscious uh, activities has been a tremendous um you know game changer because now it's the youth who are telling this world leaders no do this instead of this to be able to you know to make an impact and it's these kids who are actually even taking platforms and they're telling their parents no we want to plant trees instead of doing this and that so i think um leadership in the youth space has also grown tremendously and being able to share um stories um between different people from different regions of the earth i mean different continents has also been an impactful way of you know raising the bar for youth because now I'm motivated by other people that I'm able to see who are taking now much space in the climate space and I'm able to motivate someone else who's um maybe like a great um behind or something of that sort so I think we need to also remember that where we are currently is making a difference and we need to tell that story be able to now motivate somebody else to be able to also now take leadership as well and also mentorship so um currently this is where i am um there's somebody i know who's looking up to me and who's really interested in what i'm doing and taking them under their wing and being able to have associations as i mentioned was a good way to start because now we're able to have all these people coming together sharing their stories and be able to see best cases how do you lead this how do you change this and how do you now um also supporting each other as we now do projects towards um climate impact right so before ending this talk uh, len i i missed one question that we spoke uh, yesterday i really am fascinated uh-huh. when i heard uh, when you said that you had a debate wherein people were specifically <laughs> talking about that how their life transitioned when they actually encountered being a sustainable person where they were doing something else in life tell me about it uh, tell me about the overall uh, output of that debate what exactly is the key takeaways that uh, you know we can we can hear from you i think i'll give a background first um short one yeah. um we were having a discussion about um There's this transition between now adult life and being a child. So you were in school and everything was catered for, but now you have to pay your bills and you have to look for a job. So you find a situation where you get a cho- uh, your job at a maybe like an oil company, and you know you're an activist, but this is the only place you've got an employment. So this comes with now the issue of um, it's, you know it's 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 a very huge debate in your head between your values and well life itself. 
So sure. um, I think the key takeaway that we got was you can be able to influence um, the people around you. So you get that job at an oil company and you're able to influence them into transitioning to other um, more environmentally friendly sources of energy, for instance. So I think um, there's this aspect of, uh, I mean, if you, it's easier to actually change the system when you're part of the system. So it's when you're inside um, maybe uh, this organization that deals with something like coal and you're able to now talk to them because you're part of them now. You're able to now look at the economics of it. Okay, you guys are earning this profit and this is what you guys are doing currently. It's not um, environmentally conscious, but then if you do this instead um, as a way of still earning the same profit and still being able to now make an impact, a, a good impact on the app, then we're able to transition. So I think that was the key takeaway that um, life does not mean um, you abandon your fight, you abandon your values. So just because you can be able to now make even a greater difference while being in that system. So there's always a way for you to always make a difference. Whatever you are, whatever you're doing, don't always give up or just, you know, be comfortable with where you are. Be the change that you want to see, even while you're being in the place that brings about a very huge debate in your head. True, and I think people are not required to become climate activists to become climate conscious, yeah. right? I I think I am a tech guy. I I I my I spend much of my time in in tech stuff, but this is something that I yeah. do whenever I get time because this this is something that I feel that probably this small contribution is something that I can probably give value to planet Earth, right? Uh, similarly, yeah. people can contribute to five minutes, a minute, or probably just five minutes a month. You know, that smaller yeah. step if they start taking up, maybe, you know, uh, we will be able to cope up with this issue uh, sooner. And uh, fingers mm-hmm. are crossed. I, I I definitely wish that, you know, we all come together and we start uh, working on this. Uh so, any closing notes, uh, Len? Anything that you would like to speak that probably we missed? Um, not really. Like I, I think we've covered a lot of bases. But um, we, the one thing I want to now. <laughs> we we, we really actually like spent this. more than uh, you know, approximately <laughs> one hour forty five minutes, huh? <laughs> oh, okay. Just um, to wrap up, I think I could say from a Kenyan perspective, just um how much we are connected as um, the world and our issues are also connected. And I think um, I'd always like to um, just give, a people, give people the challenge of being able to be part of now the global voices that are able to make a difference. So you're able to share whatever you're doing and be able to also support what other people are doing, volunteer, Anywhere you're able to give, um, in whatever capacity you're able to. So some people, because as you mentioned, um, I mean, in your team, in my team, I have a communication person. I have the person who does um, the projects, um, the introvert who really uh, does the tech support. Of the in- but he's not really like a vocal. But at the same time, he's able to give support towards um, all activities we're able to do. So never look at anything you're doing as less. Just find the strength you're able, you have and use it towards um, supporting any climate goal that maybe you're interested in. So um, 
actually companions i think what we're doing is i really i'm really looking forward to us building this community into like a bigger space um a more um impactful area and i ho- really hope that we're able to now kind of connect with other generations to be able to now push this goal forward and we're able to just um reduce our carbon emission and we're able to just reduce this um this may be a goal to net zero. It will be like a very good, and I know, you know it looks unachievable, but it honestly is. Yeah. Yeah. So, with totally with you on that, Lynn. I think uh, you know this is what the world needs. Even smaller, smaller drops can do amazing things in this world. And uh, yeah. climate change is an issue that everybody has to understand. And slowly and gradually, people are coming together. Maybe if you asked me four years back, I was not very much sure about what exactly climate change is. But, uh, yeah. you know, maybe, uh, you know, those smaller drops are reaching uh, different, different people. And eventually, you know, everything is becoming like an ocean. And hopeful that yeah. things will become, uh, you know, big enough that the impact can be more impactful when it comes to climate mitigation. And uh, I'm really happy to have you on the show, Len. Thank you so much for joining us. I am I'm really fascinated to see your energy, the kind of work that you guys are doing, and just keep doing that. Let's be connected and let's spread as much knowledge as we can because I think the knowledge is the key that this world is missing, and we need to make sure that people really know that the problem is. We need to know that. We really need to force policymakers, governments, and you know the other institutions to start acting towards this biggest threat. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I had a very wonderful discussion, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to more collaborations like this. We'll definitely do. I I think uh, we'll we'll probably have a catch up with the team as well later sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, let's 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 make some impact. Let's try and save this world in the way we can. And let's hope yeah. that the whole world comes together with us to do the same. Thank you so much, Len. Thank you so much again. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Conscious Citizens. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show on this app right now to be notified on upcoming episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show because that motivates and brings a smile. Thank you.